guys, let's go back to the book of Philippians, chapter number one. And we've been covering and going through this, this, this awesome book where the Apostle Paul writes this letter uh, to thank the Philippians for the gift that they had sent him and to strengthen these believers by showing them that true joy comes from Jesus Christ alone. Everybody say, true joy, true joy. comes from Jesus Christ alone. Let's start at verse number 25 and we'll continue in reading through the rest of the chapter. Paul, in spite of his difficult circumstances as a prisoner in Rome, he is rejoicing, guys. He's, he's learning how to, to have joy, amen, in the midst of suffering. He's learning and he's, he's exemplifying to us what it means to have that joy when we are, are, are in a situation where we're having to put up with, to go through, to be punished, in many cases for our faith walk. Amen? So Paul is rejoicing. The text says this, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Verse 26, if you read with me, it says what? And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing, what? Through me. Verse number 27, the text says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Next verse says what? It says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. But that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Verse number 29, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of what? Now I want you to read that, that, that last verse here. And, and we got to let this sink in because we gave you a definition of what suffering is, what that means. Three or four definitions, you know, to, to, to put up with, to bear with, to, to, to be punished or to go along or to be in a situation where things are maybe not pleasant. But through that suffering, God is trying to deal with us. And notice what Paul says. Can we read this out loud and on purpose? I want you to purposely let it sink in, okay? Because the Bible is God's word. How many of y'all believe it to be true? How many of y'all believe in the inerrancy of the Holy Scriptures? See, see, the, the Bible and God's word is under attack today. It's always been under attack. It was under attack in the Garden of Eden. Can I get two witnesses up in here? Because Satan came to Eve and said, Yea, hath God really said that the day you eat that you're going to die? He was challenging the authenticity of God's word. And even in some of our church denominations, amen, they are challenging, amen, the authenticity of God's word and whether or not it's still applicable today. But I'm here to tell you, EBC, we're going to be a Bible preaching, amen, amen, a Bible teaching church that does not stand on anything but the inerrancy of God's word. Can I get a witness up in here? So now watch, I want y'all to read this with me now, and I want you to read it slowly and I want you to let it sink into your spirit because how many of y'all profess to be born, born again believers? 
I need to see your hands. I mean, you, you saved. You, 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 you're God's child. You asked Christ to come to your heart to save you. You did that, right? So, so when Paul writes this, even though he's writing to the, the saints at Philippi, the church at Philippi, he's also writing to us because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for instruction and correction in righteousness, right? So, so the word of God is for us today, too. So he's writing this to us, too. Look at what he says. For you have been, can we read together? Let's read. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also what? The privilege of suffering for him. Now, I want to ask the question, and how many of y'all ever grew up thinking that suffering was a privilege? Nobody thought that. But here's what he's saying. Now, now, now again, notice what he says. He says, but you, he says, uh, uh, you've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now, how many of y'all will admit, like I can admit in my life, there's some times I suffered through some stuff, but it wasn't because of my stand for Christ. <laughs> how many of y'all are willing to admit that sitting right here today, that since you've been saved, you suffered through some bad relationship because you didn't listen to God when the Holy Spirit was telling you he ain't the one. But he's cute. He's not the one. But he's fine. He ain't the one. He told me I was, I was 36, 24, 36. He told me I was a brick house and that I was the prettiest woman he had ever seen. He ain't the one. But, but pastor, but pastor, you, you just don't know I feel a such. He's not the one. And then now you suffer through all of the heartache and the pain that God was trying to warn you about because you were saved, but you were not listening. Sometimes in life, guys, we suffer through things because of our disobedience. But here, Paul says, watch this. I got to read it again because it needs to resonate in your spirit because we're talking about joy in suffering. Now, remember, as we break down this, this book, we said that there are these four chapters. We said, number chapter number one, we deal with joy in suffering. Chapter number two, we deal with joy in serving. How many of you have been frustrated in serving before? Paul says we ought to get joy out of serving. Third chapter, we deal, we're going to deal with joy in believing. And fourth chapter, we're going to deal with joy in giving. So Paul says here, watch it now, but, 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 but today we're dealing with joy and suffering. Suffering, He says, he says, watch this, for you have been given, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Now, most of us never thought of it as a privilege to suffer for him, but that's what Paul says here. The Bible says, and I believe that we can, we can count it a privilege to suffer for Christ, to suffer for the name of Christ, for, for our faith walk. So Paul in spite of his circumstance, we told you, uh, being in prison, he rejoiced, amen, because his circumstances strengthened, number one, the fellowship of the gospel. It also promoted the furtherance of the gospel. And we're going to look at today, lastly, it guarded the faith of the gospel, amen. Now, remember, the fellowship of the gospel, Paul used three thoughts in verses 1 through 11 that describe true Christian fellowship. I told you before, many of us don't really understand what true Christian fellowship is. We think it's coming here on Sunday, amen, and hugging during the fellowship period. And now I have fellowship with my fellow Christians. And when I go home and I see them again next week, and during the fellowship period, I hug them again and say, we haven't fellowship. 
That's not true Christian fellowship, guys. Can I get a witness? What Paul is dealing with here is that as a believer, we got to learn how to, 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 to do Christian fellowship. The fellowship of the gospel. Paul said, I have you on my mind. Or I have you in my mind. Paul says, I have you in my heart and I have you in my prayers. When you think about your fellow Christians, when you think about your fellow Elizabethan members, how many of them do you have in your mind? How many of them do you have in your heart? And how many of them do you have in your prayer life? Think about that for a second. How many people do you pray for in this ministry or people you're connected with? So what I'm telling you is that we got to learn how to understand what true Christian fellowship is all about. Amen. Because Paul, amen, because uh, uh, in spite of his circumstances, he he understood what it means to, to embrace the fellowship of the gospel. Second thing we talked about was the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. God will sometimes, we told you on last week, use strange means or strange tools to help us further expand the gospel. God, I am convinced, has placed many of us in certain places that we otherwise would not have been in just so that we could meet somebody who we would otherwise not meet so that we could share our faith with them and get them saved. I shared with you before, many times God will have you in places of employment and he'll keep you there because there's somebody there he wants you to pour into their life. And you've been trying to leave and God said it's not time for you to leave because I got to use you if you will let me. I got to use you to reach those three or four people who nobody in the plant wants to even talk to. But I got you there to minister to them. So God will use all kinds of tools to get his gospel message where he needs to get it to. He, Paul, as it relates to Paul, he used Paul's chains. He, he, he was in bondage, right? Because I, I told you that those, those Roman guards were hooked to him 24-7. And every time they changed guards every six hours, Paul looked at it as another opportunity to share Christ with somebody else. He used his chains to expand the gospel. He used his critics, those who were preaching, amen, out of jealousy, but he used that, amen, to expand the gospel. And he used his crisis to expand the gospel. So today, we're going to look at the last part here, where we're going to look at the faith of the gospel, how he uses, amen, amen, the, the, the suffering to defend or to guard the faith of the gospel. This Christian life, guys, that we live It's not a playground. In case you missed it, this is not a playground. It is a battlefield. Everybody say battlefield. You see, because it is a battlefield, we got to get prepared and we got to engage in spiritual warfare. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. So many times when we look at our Christian life, if we're really honest about it, Most of us don't look at it as a battlefield. But I want you to go with me right quick to Ephesians, a very familiar passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter number six. And we're going to begin our reading at verse number 10. Because we are sons in the family, amen, enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. We are servants sharing in the furtherance of the gospel, but we are also soldiers defending the faith of the gospel. Everybody say, I'm a soldier. Defending the faith of the gospel. They used to sing that old song, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. In the army. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. 
If I die, let me die. Some of y'all say, no, brother pastor, hold up. Hold up, brother pastor. I'm a soldier, but I ain't about this dying for the Lord. Guys, listen, we have to put ourselves in a position that if God calls upon us to give our life for the gospel's sake, how many of you are willing to die? If I die, let me die. Some of y'all say, I don't want the pastor to take that verse out of that song. But we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. So if I'm a soldier, that means I got to do some fighting. And the problem that many of us have is, is that we have not prepared ourselves and we have not equipped ourselves to fight, to guard or to defend the faith of the gospel. Amen. But you got, in order to be in that position, we got to have a single mindedness like Paul did. Amen. The believer with the single mind can have the joy of the Holy Spirit even in the midst of battle. Amen. Even in the midst of battle, we can have the joy of the Holy Spirit. Look at what the text says in, in Ephesians chapter number six. And let's begin our reading at verse number 10. Are y'all there? Let's read together. It says, What? A final word. Be strong. In the Lord and in his what? His mighty power. Let's go to the King James Version. I like the way it reads there. Uh, in the KJV, verse number 10 says, Finally, my brethren, what? Be strong in the Lord and in what? The power of his might. Now, again, remember, we started off, We again, we started off talking about uh, the, 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 the fact that uh, the, the, there's a fellowship of the gospel that we got to be mindful of. And then there's the furtherance of the gospel, but the faith of the gospel has to be defended. Uh, I think it was Titus said that we, in Paul in writing to Titus, he says, that, he says, I pray that you earnestly contend for the faith. I pray that you honestly will be able to, to defend and, 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 and contend. To contend means to fight, to do battle, to stand for what you believe in. Amen. He says what? Uh, and in the power of his might. Verse number 11. Let's read together. Ready? Read. Put on what? The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Another word for wiles is the schemes, the strategy of the devil. Now, guys, what we got to understand is that the, it, we face a real enemy. Can I get a witness? We face a real enemy, a very real devil. All right, let's keep reading. I, 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 keep reading, keep reading. He says, well, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse number 13, let's read together. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to do what? 14, let's read. Let's go. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the what? Breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. Next verse. Let's read. All the fiery darts of the wicked. Verse 17. Let's go. And the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. 18 for good measure. Let's read. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. 
Supplication. False saints. Now watch this, guys. Again, I said, yo, how can we as a group of Christians fight the enemy, the real enemy? How can we get to the point to where we are really doing spiritual warfare? Because if we're going to be defenders of the faith, if we're going to guard the faith of the gospel, then we're going to have to be prepared. I shared with you in the sermon series that we did, Preparing for Greater, is that many times, just like the children of Israel, we really fail to accomplish all the things that God has positioned and gifted us to accomplish in this life because we do not prepare. I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all did like I did uh, where, where when you were in school, there were times where you didn't adequately prepare for a test? Can I get two or three hands here? How many of you thought that the night before, I'm going to cram for this exam. I need some hands raised up in here. See, can I, get, can I share my story? The only D that I ever made in my life, in my entire life, when I was at Louisiana Tech, and I duped myself into thinking because my freshman year, I was playing football, and, and I didn't even really have to study I mean, I had, I had, think, at the end of my freshman year, I think I had a 3.5 GPA. Didn't even really study because I thought, oh, man, it's just like high school. Come on, bitch. Hi, man, high school. I just breezed through high school, man. Finished third in my graduating class. Had a 3.8 grade point average. This, is, this ain't nothing. Until, Latoya, I signed up, and I was an engineer at that time. I signed up for a statics class. If you don't know what static is, don't, don't try to find out. Amen. Unless you're an engineer. But I, I, I signed up for the, the status class because I was getting to my engineering courses. And what I discovered very quickly, everybody said very quickly, is that studying the night before ain't going to help you get prepared for that status class. It's just like doing calculus or advanced math. You, you can't just try to work the problems the night before, and you can't just watch the teacher working on the chalkboard. you got to do some preparation yourself. And man, by the time I got through with that class, I just barely got out. I said, i got to do something different. I did not properly prepare myself. And man, it hurt to my heart. I, ain't never, I, I never really made C's. I mean, I'm in bragging. I'm just, that's just where it was. But I made a D, guys. You know what D is? I barely got by. And so, but the problem was, I didn't prepare myself. And many times in this Christian walk, guys, we haven't recognized that we're in spiritual warfare, but we're not preparing ourselves. We're still trying to fight, amen, the old way. And God says, I'm I'm giving you a new way of doing warfare. In the first part of this chapter in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, Paul said a whole lot about how to live in relationship with others. If, if you will, pop up from the New Living Translation. Go back to verse number one. Uh, he's, he's in the sixth chapter, he's dealing with relationships. How many of y'all have trouble with relationships? How many of you know, oh, okay, I got one hand raised. Uh, how, how many of you know that if you don't prepare for a relationship, you won't do it very well? I've, I've been teaching y'all for the last five, six years that most of us don't do relationships well. Because most of us are very selfish. Come on. We want things the way we want it. 
how we want it. And as long as it's going the way we want it and how we want it, the relationship is good. Now, I realize that many times we may be getting it out the way we want it, but that's but it's maybe destroying the relationship that we're in. Watch what Paul says here as he talks, first of all, about relationships and he moves into spiritual warfare. Look at what the text says. What, what does it say? Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. It says children do what? Children do what? Children do what? Obey your parents. Because you belong, how? To to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Look at the next verse. It says what? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise attached to it. Next verse says what? If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat him. It is interesting to me that Paul, uh, as he's dealing with the parent-child relationship specifically addressed the father about how he deals with his children. He says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. So we need, we need some men who understand how to treat their children. We need some fathers who understand what it means to be a godly man and don't have your children scared to talk to you. Hey, brothers, fathers, are y'all out there? I need an amen from y'all. Amen. All right? This is talking to us, right? It says, Father, I provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes where? From the Lord. Again, we're going to do fatherhood the way the Lord wants us to do fatherhood. Come to G-Men Fellowship. We're talking about fatherhood. We're talking about manhood. We're talking about husbandhood, if that's such a word. We're talking about how to do life God's way. Next verse says what? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Now, again, we know that you, you change this. This is employee, employees, employees, employers. Okay, wherever you're employed, it says obey your your earthly employer with deep respect and fear. Testing one, two. Sean, are we still on? Why is it that every time I talk this, it gets quiet in here? Why, why do we have problems at work all the time? I've told you before, watch yourself. Listen, here's what I've learned. And again, I think when I look back over my life, God has blessed, blessed me through my career path when I was in banking, do all the other type of things. Here's what I learned. If I will trust God and be obedient to his word, that he will bless me and I'll prosper. Every place that I've worked at, I can go back to if I wanted to. Could you? I said, could you? Let me ask one more time. Could you? All right, all right, all right, all right. There's a, there's, a, there's a principle that's involved here, and it's, it's the principle of a learning to submit to authority. You see, sometimes people have trouble in the church because they have trouble in the job and they have trouble in their home because they had not understood the position of authority, how God looks at authority, how, how it is that even when we don't agree with the authority figure, that does not give us the right to disobey the authority figure as long as they're not telling us to do something that's wrong or immoral. 
Just because someone does it differently than you doesn't mean that they're wrong and you're right in places of employment. So learn how to submit to authority because it's going to, I can promise you, if you won't submit to authority on the job, you won't do it in the church. And you won't do it in the home. He says, obey your earthly master with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you, as you would serve Christ. So in other words, my work environment is, 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 when I go to that work environment, I'm being tested by God to see if I will serve at work like I will serve Christ. That's what he says. Am I reading that right? Serve them how? Serve them how? What's that adverb? Sincerely, it describes how you do the verb. The verb is what? Serve. So you got to serve how? Not fakely. That's such a word. Amen. You got to serve sincerely. Serve them sincerely as you would serve what? Look at the next verse. Come on, let's read it. So try to please them all the time. Watch this. Not just when they are watching you. Boy, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. What this tells me, listen, what, it, what this says right here is that, that as a born-again believer, I should not just work hard when somebody is watching over me. As a matter of fact, God is watching over me all the time, and he's checking me out to see how I do what I do, to see if I'm ready to go to the next level. Many times people think that, well, as long as nobody catches me, I'm okay. Guess, guess what, baby? You can't hide from God. Somebody said one time he sits high and he looks low. He knows exactly where we are in life. And so God is watching how we do what we do in our places of employment. So whatever we do, says try to please them all the time. As long as you're there, you try to please those who you are responsible for reporting to. Now, if you can't do that effectively and with the, with the clear conscious mind you decide you someplace else to go because you want to you want to please God because ultimately God's gonna hold you accountable for how you do what you do so if you can't do it right you better go somewhere else, place you can do it right and sometimes I told you sometimes it's us and we haven't realized that we got a wrong perspective let me get five more amen can I get five amens because I'm gonna keep on this because I I feel something on this thing I see see God's got to deal with some of us we think that serving God only happens here at church but at work God is trying to deal with you because he's trying to use you to minister at work and won't nobody listen to you at work because you're such a foul person at work y'all didn't know Christian can be foul at work this is mean spirit and ugly not very accommodating. And God says, I got you there so I can use you to minister. But I can't do it because your mind messed up. God says, I got you there to meet some people who you're not going to even run into in a normal course of, of life. But I got you there so you can minister to them. But I can't use you there because your mind messed up. Because your heart is not right. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with what? He's talking about these relationships. Look at verse number seven. Watch this. Watch this. Look at what he says. Look at this. Come on, God. I got to go. This is part of spiritual warfare. We got to move. Got to move. Everybody say move, 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 move. For relationship, work with what? What's the last time you went to work enthusiastically? Totally near. When last time you went to work enthusiastic, I just, I just use it in my line of sight tone. I'm just, 
Days, I know you work enthusiastically. Every time I call you, man, you got a chipper. I, I told her this, this, is a, this is a positive dude. Amen. Uh, and, and, and so, so when you go, he says here, work. This is a command. This is not an option. So you're sitting there being unenthusiastic, being oh, 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 a fuddy-duddy. Come on, y'all know what a fuddy-duddy is? Somebody who's always looking all, looking all grim and looking all sad and, and, and never have a happy smile. If you are a Christian, the joy of the Lord ought to be your strength, amen? And when you're in the midst of wherever you are, people ought to get joy out of being around you. I don't know why this is my spirit, but we got to work it. He says, work with enthusiasm. That's a command. You, understood you. In the English language, there's no you there. It's understood. You work with enthusiasm as though you were working. Here it is. Here's our mindset. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord Rather than for people. That's the problem right now. You think you're working for the man. And God said, you ain't working for the man. You're supposed to be working as unto me. Are y'all getting this? Are you getting this? Somebody needs to hear this. Somebody needs to repent before you leave here. And the first thing Monday morning, you go to Ephesians 6 and 7 and just meditate on that thing. While you're in the parking lot, get ready to go and say, hmm, hmm. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Come on, enthusiasm. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Enthusiasm. What does the text say? Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for what? Rather than for what? For people. Verse 8. Come on, watch this. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. Verse 9, watch this. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. He has no favorites. Get into verse number 10. Watch this. Now, now we roll from relationships to dealing with spiritual warfare. I want to share that with you because here's, here's the thing to understand. Many times we fail to engage in spiritual warfare effectively as believers because we think it's warfare against the people we see. And now Paul rolls into talking about relationships and start dealing with spiritual warfare and he lets us know that our battle is not against the folks who we see every day. Watch, watch the final word. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole arm of God because you may be stand against all the strategies of the devil. So, again, the first part of the chapter, he said a whole lot about how to live in a relationship with others. However, after doing so, he now wants to emphasize that people are not our ultimate problem. I'm, I need you to say that to the, your neighbor. Say, neighbor, people are not our ultimate problem. Say, I know you think so, but it ain't the case. People are not our ultimate problem. Humanity's struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. 
Amen. You know, the, the battle Christians face every day is rooted in the schemes of the devil and in his efforts to deceive us. He said in this text, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? See, the devil is glad when we don't take him seriously or don't believe that he even exists. Meanwhile, just like an opposing football team, he's sitting up there setting our film. I told you when I, was, when I was playing college ball, and even to a certain degree in high school, but even more so in college ball, is that, that we, we spend a lot of time doing film study. First of all, looking at our film and how we did what we did and the mistakes that we made, but we spent an awful lot of time, usually it was Monday and Tuesday of every week, uh, bro, Vic, we would sit down and we would look at the opposing team's film of, a, of, a, of two or three of their games to study their habits. What do they do, like to do on third and ten? What do they like to do on, 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 on fourth and goal or, or, or first and ten? What are their tendencies? What are their traits? What are their habits? What, 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 are, what do the stats say that they like to do? And let's prepare for that. Guess what, guys? The enemy is studying your game film. He wants you to think he doesn't exist. And he wants you to spend all your time hating on people, knowing that people ain't really the real enemy. He's just using people, and he got you locked in on people, and you're not focusing on him. Because when you're locked in on people, you try to do, you, you do warfare like you did when you were growing up. You talk about me, I'm going to talk about you. You want to play the dozen? Let's play the dozen. Your mama's so big. How many of y'all remember playing the dozens? You talk about my mama, I'm going to talk about your mama. He wants you to stay focused on that and not on him, guys. So he sits up there studying your game for him. These demonic spirits that are at his beckoning call, they know your history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they know your weak spots. They've been studying your game for him. They know your sin patterns. Huh? They, they, they know that, that the only way home on Friday is you like to run by this place here and go in and come out of there with a, little, with, with a paper brown paper bag with a little something, something on the inside. They know your sin patterns. They know you got a weakness for this particular person. Huh? And y'all don't really go together, but y'all just kind of kick it when y'all want to kick it. You say, Christian, you just kicking it. How you gonna just kick it with somebody? Ain't no strange attacks. You know, we just kind of do what we do. You know, we, yeah, 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 you know how it is, but Pastor. No, I don't know how it is. <laughs> but he's studying your game film. He knows your sin patterns. He knows your history. He knows our history. Amen. And, and these demonic spirits, their goal is to keep us from experiencing God's will for our life. And, and, and guys, God, you, you're not the first person that they've been on assignment with. Amen. They've been doing this for years, for decades, for thousands of years. Amen. They, they're good at what they do. They know how to break down your film. They know your sin patterns. They know your weaknesses. And they come at you trying to get you to fall. Because, guys, spiritual warfare is a deadly business. And the devil is playing for keeps. So we got to get equipped. We got to get prepared. Amen. Everybody say, get, get, prepared. get prepared. So guys, listen, listen to me. We, because we're in spiritual warfare and we're called upon the God to faith, then we have to fight the spiritual with the spiritual. Your human strength 
and my human strength won't work. Our only hope is to be strengthened by the Lord and to put on the full of the whole arm of God. He says, stand with, with, with truth like a, like a belt around your waist. You guys remember, as Paul is writing this, in his mind, he has the analogy of a Roman soldier. When a Roman soldier went to war, you know, they had these long flowing garments. And when they went to war, uh, in order to, to keep from being hindered by their clothing, what they would do is they would tuck that clothing inside of his belt. It would, it would be similar to, like, I'm having this thing around me. And you know, like, you know how a guy has, a, has, a, has this thing right here? And then he would just get it and tuck it inside his belt. Any of y'all ever did that? Roll your, roll your pants leg up. I'm just trying to make it plain. Hey Amen. He had that flowing garment, but he would, he would, he would, when it's time to go to battle, when it's time to run, he would tuck that thing up in his belt, guys. Tuck his clothing inside of his, in his belt, and he would fasten it securely so that he could be mobile in battle. Truth, guys, is the objective standard by which reality is measured. God's word is true. So to wear truth like a belt is to live in authenticity authenticity before God, amen. Since the devil is is a liar, you got to start with truth to be ready for battle. Because the devil, he, he's a liar. He, as a matter of fact, I think it was in John 8 and 44, God, Jesus called him the father of lies. Now, if you're the father of lies, that means you invented lying. And now, how many of y'all know there's some Christians who act like they are the father of lies? How many of y'all know some lying Christians? They won't tell the truth. But guys, I'm going to tell you something. We got to put on truth because God says we're in spiritual warfare. And he goes on listing these other weapons. We'll preach on that some other time. But guys, the, the point I'm trying to make is we got to equip ourselves for spiritual warfare if we're going to be prepared, amen, to defend the faith. So now let's get back to Philippians chapter number one and look at 27, verse 27 right quick. Got to get you out of here. Are you still with me? Everybody say joy in suffering. Now, remember we read this verse 27 when we started off in this passage. Not in verse number 27. We talked about the fact that we, we, we get the it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Now, I never really thought of it that way. And honestly, in, in most of my years of upbringing, that, that, that there's joy in suffering for Christ. But now that I see what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying that, I'm so single-minded that I don't care what it takes. I'm going to make sure that I defend the faith. I'm going to make sure that, 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 that the fellowship of the gospel, amen, is, is, is strong. I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that the gospel is being furthered, moved along so that others can hear about it. And I'm going to defend my faith. Child of God, don't you dare back down on what you believe. Get strong in your faith. Let the word of God resonate in your spirit and learn how to defend the faith. I mean, in other words, Jesus Christ did what he did, but you ought to know what he did and be able to talk about what he did for you. Can't nobody tell it like you can tell it what the Lord has done for you, right? You know how he's changed your life. So, so, so let's look at this right here. So, so Paul, we get back to this 27 verse. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy, what? Of the good 
conducting yourself. Now watch this, guys. How many of y'all will admit that, and you have to ask the Lord to forgive, there have been times when you have not conducted yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Anybody here willing to say, you know, Pastor, I, I thank God for forgiveness? In the KJV, it says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So the first thing is, is Paul explains that there are three essentials for victory in the battle in order to protect the faith. Three essential things. If you're going to protect the faith, these three things you got to have. Number one is consistency. Everybody say consistency. Now, again, in the KJV says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The old English word conversation means your walk and not your talk. See, there are a whole lot of folks sitting up here right now who can talk it, but they ain't walking it. And what God is saying, it's time for us to walk out our faith. It's time for us to not look one way on Sunday and another way Monday through Saturday. God is saying that you got to live this out every day. Do you not, guys, really, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that people would rather see a sermon than hear one any day of the week. And what God wants to do is utilize us to advance the kingdom principles. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to be encouraging all of us to do is to get involved in our community and organizations that, that give you an opportunity to meet more people outside of your circle of influence. Most of y'all right now have a, cir- a certain circle of influence and those are a, a certain group of people who you see all the time. And outside of that, you don't, you don't fool with nobody. Amen. Let me say it again. Most of us see different people at work. Um, maybe if we go to school, but but we need to expand our horizon because how's God how's God going to use you uh, to reach people and further the gospel if you only see those who you see, if you only meet and interface with those who you see at church or, or in your home or in your place of employment? I believe God has greater things for us. I believe God wants to use us. He wants to plant us in situations where we can meet different people and build a relationship. And by virtue of that relationship, we earn the right to speak into their life and to share our testimony, the good news of the gospel, what God has done for us. So I'm going to be encouraging each one of you all, amen, to, to, to get engaged outside of the four walls of the church. Amen. Can I get a witness? Now, guys, the most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book, but it is a, a consistent life among us as believers, being consistent. The verb Paul uses is related to our, our word politics, actually. And, and what he's saying is behave the way citizens are supposed to behave. Paul is suggesting that we Christians are citizens of heaven. And while we're here on this earth, we ought to behave like citizens of heaven. This is our temporary home. Guys, we don't get to live here forever. Not in, in, in the way it's conducted today. Amen. We don't get to stay here forever. If the truth be told, at some point in time, if the rapture doesn't take place within the next uh, 150 years, all of us are going to be gone. Now, the rapture could come next week. 
It could come next year. It could come 10 years from now. But 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 if the rapture tarries for another 200 years, all of us in here are going to be dead. This is not permanent. So since it's not permanent, again, let's give it our best shot. Because our citizenship is in heaven. We are what? Ambassadors for Christ. Amen? So Paul is suggesting that that while we're here on earth, we ought to behave like citizens in heaven. Amen? He brings this concept up again. Go to Philippians 3 and 20 with me right quick. Philippians 3 and 20. So everybody say consistency. Look at your own life. How consistent are you in living out the tenets of your faith? How consistent are you? Are you good for two months and then raggedy for seven months? Raggedy. We, 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 should, we shouldn't live a raggedy, messed up life, should we? Now, none of us are perfect. Come on. All of us are, are subject to falling in sin. But when you're living raggedy, that means you're not really trying. And that'd be folks up in the quiet, living raggedy. And talking about this joy that I have, the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. What kind of joy is that? You live in raggedy. Or maybe you're ushering. You're on the usher's door, holding up your hand, but you live in raggedy. And somebody comes in the door who know you live in raggedy, and they see you hold up your hand. Guys, we got to be consistent. I didn't say we're going to be perfect, but there ought to be a level of consistency. Be steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We can't be up, down, level to the ground. And we used to sing those songs, and I know we were trying to encourage them, but sometimes up, sometimes down, almost level to the ground. If you are growing in your faith, you shouldn't be level to the ground. As newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We got to have some consistency. And it starts with just being where you are when you're supposed to be where you are. Church, coming to church is not the totality of your Christian walk. Thank God for church. Because this is kind of when we come together corporately and we get to exhort and encourage one another. But here's what I'm interested in. I'm, I'm telling you right now as your pastor, here's what I'm interested in. In seeing a consistent lifestyle of living like a citizen in heaven and not like somebody who, who belongs to the earth. We are spiritual beings. We are an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador, amen, is stationed in a place, and in that place that he's stationed, he's still, amen, considered a citizen of his home country. And he represents his home country. Look at what the text says. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ, what? Read it again. We are citizens of what? Heaven. What? Back up. Let's back up. Uh, back up to um, to verse fifteen. Come on, got to move. Verse fifteen. Can we read together? Let's read. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Watch that. Are y'all there? Are y'all still tracking with me? Let's stay on track now, okay? I, I, I don't need to miss you, okay? Uh, let, let, me, let me back up a little bit further, okay? Uh, go to verse 12. <laughs> go to verse 12. We're going to walk it down. Come on, hurry, hurry. Got to go. 
says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Who's talking here, guys? Paul, the writer of this book we're studying, says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Verse 13, let's go. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I told you Paul was single-minded. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Don't you dare let the enemy keep you bound to your past. Don't you dare let the enemy come up and try to bring your past up and keep you in bondage. Look back and say, yeah, I messed up then, but guess what? I'm moving forward. I will refuse to allow my past to build, build a stranglehold on my future. Paul said, he says, he says I, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14 says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Next verse says, well, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Next verse says what? Come on. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. 17, 18, 19, 20. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Watch this, who follow our example. Don't learn from folks who, who are going the wrong way, who are raggedy. Oh, raggedy, messed up life. Just, just doing stuff that you know you ain't got no business doing. Come on, come up out of that mess. Come up out of it. Hold each other accountable. We are our brother's keepers. Let's keep reading. Next verse says what? For I have told you often before, and I say it again, with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows, oh, don't you be in this category. Look at what he says. I told you before, and I said again, there are many whose conduct shows they are really what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Man, do you want to be classified as an enemy of the cross of Christ? Their conduct. We got to be consistent. Everybody say consistent. What? 19 and 20, let's read. It says what? They are headed for destruction. When you live in raggedy, their God is their appetite. <laughs> they brag about shameful stuff. Yeah, dog, man, you know, yeah. Hey, man, I had to hit that. I had to hit that, brother. Man, I had, I, you know, I had her this week and had her last week, man. You know, hey, hey, I'm the man. I'm the man. No, you ain't no man. You are W-H-O-R-E. Or in some circles, it's spelled H-O. Ho. Why are you going around bragging about how many ladies you've been laying and playing with? Come on. Okay. My wife looked at me and it looked so. The Bible says it. The Bible just spells it whore. Now, I guess, listen, like, uh, let me say this. Everybody's got a pass. And maybe, maybe you were there before, but you ain't got to be there now. That's what I'm saying. And where you were before don't define you today. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Guess what? 
old things have passed away. Behold what? All things have become new. So now I don't do that no more. The past ain't going to bind me because I'm a new creature in Christ. How about you? They that are headed for destruction, they, they are headed for their, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So be, everybody say be consistent. Second, second thing that, uh, that's essential for victory is cooperation. Everybody say cooperation. Paul now changes the illustration from politics to athletics. The word translated striving together in the KJV gives us our English word athletics. Paul pictures the church as a team. Everybody say team. And he reminds them that it is teamwork that wins victories. I was, I was watching uh, the, the, the Benton uh, High School girls uh, basketball team. They, they moved to 5A and they won the state championship uh, last night. Was that last night? Yeah. No, Friday night. And I was noticing, and the coach said something that was very, uh, very crucial and key. She says, everybody knows their role. Everybody knows their role, and each one of the players are not jealous of the fact that somebody has a different role. Out of their 62 points, they had two girls that scored 57 of their 62 points. One scored 33, and the other one scored, uh, what, 24, whatever that is. Yeah, whatever it is. My math may be off. But two players. But I noticed everybody else was doing their part, rebounding, hustling, getting steals. And nobody was complaining. I didn't get that many shots. Why they got to shoot? They knew their roles. And they accepted their roles. And their roles allowed them to be successful in winning a state championship. It takes teamwork. In the ministry, we can't get caught up in, in being jealous that somebody else sung five songs and you only sung one or none. Choir members. Oh, what are they going? <laughs> Mess starts in the choir. Because that's where Satan was. Singing songs. I've, I've seen whole churches get tore up because of the choir. And by the way, you don't have a song. You didn't write it. You didn't record it. You just sang it. Choir members. Now, I, I, I work, we work with choirs for them. I know the dynamics of that and how people can get thrown off base and get jealous because they're not leading the song. But they said it was about Jesus. It's all about Jesus until I don't sing. Hello? Everybody say, check yourself. It's all about Jesus. I'm not the one doing whatever. I got to get out of it. Cooperation. It's, everybody say teamwork. Throughout this letter, Paul uses uh, 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 an interesting device to emphasize the importance of unity. In the Greek language, the prefix son, S-U-N, means with or together. And when used with different words, it strengthens the idea of unity. Everybody say unity. It's somewhat like our, our, our prefix co. The word CO, co, is a prefix from which we get our words like cooperate. We get our word coordinate. We get our word collaboration. That means doing stuff together. At least 16 times, Paul uses this prefix in Philippians, and his readers could not have missed his message. Amen. It was, we got to strive together just like a team does. Any team that's going to 
win a championship has to do it together. It can't be just the offense. It can't be just the defense. You got to work together. Everybody say cooperation is needed. If we're going to protect the faith, we got to have consistency. We got to have cooperation. And lastly, we got to have confidence. Everybody say confidence. Confidence. Look at, look at, look at verse number 28 through 30 right quick. And we got to get out of here. Verse 28-30. We got to have consistency, cooperation, and we got to have some confidence. He says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. 29 and 30. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Wow. We get the privilege to suffer for him. Verse 30. He says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. You know that I am still in the midst of it. Amen. You know I'm still suffering. I'm still struggling, but I got joy. So let's, guys, let's make sure that we are consistent, that we're willing to cooperate, and that we walk in confidence. Amen. We got confidence to know that as a true believer, we're going to be there. Amen. Amen. We're going to be there. Come on, get the Lord a hand of praise.